jumper on the way. Good! Tyus Battle nails the three. Dungey leaps and into the end zone for Dungey. A touchdown. If that's not on every highlight show tonight, then I, I don't know who's watching. Powered Green pass here, he'll get one. And he stays alive, and he's got room to the 10. One man to beat, he'll do it. Touchdown, Syracuse. And for Syracuse, party time. The upset, pulled by the Orange. They defeat Clemson 27 to 24. The penetration, step back. Oh, a pressure bucket for Tyus Battle. This is Orange Nation with Stephen Fonte and Seth Goldberg. Powered by Driver's Village and Hummel's Office Plus. Good afternoon, everyone. Glad to have you with us alongside Seth Goldberg. I'm Stephen Fonte. It's a Friday edition of Orange Nation. Just one guest lined up for it today. We'll talk with Nate Mink from Syracuse.com and the Post Standard here in about 15, 20 minutes from now as we get you set for Syracuse, North Carolina, inside the Dome tomorrow. Your phone calls welcome at any time, 315-437-7644. We're going to talk some NFL on the show today. We'll certainly talk uh, some college football. We may touch on on baseball as well. Uh, the Red Sox back in the World Series for the first time in five years. Uh, neither one of us, uh, Seth, expected that yesterday, that the Red Sox got to Justin Verlander and that David Price of the two starting pitchers was was the better guy on the mound. At least last night, he was the better guy on the mound. No, had had no no thought that that would possibly happen. There there was no way that was going to happen. We joked that they to might me. punt game five and yes. go back home and, and try to get one or two. I thought they would have gladly punted game five and and headed home with a three two lead and Chris Sale on the mound. That seemed like the obvious thing to happen. And then David Price, uh, six scoreless innings, struck out nine, scattered three hits. He was fantastic. And uh, the Red Sox got to Verlander, had a couple of home runs, and that's all they needed. They were able to hang on. Even though the, the Boston bullpen uh, has been suspected best, uh, certainly held up uh, last night. Well, Nathan Avaldi pitched. It was a starter. It wasn't a, that's true. It wasn't a reliever who, who gave them four outs, four very big outs. I, I, look, I've said this the entire postseason. I'll, I'll say it again. I don't know how you make it through an entire postseason just rotating your starters through that relief roll. I don't know that that's really sustainable but it's worked so far but it's worked so far so i i guess you just keep going right i i guess you just keep turning to it because your bullpen's terrible and you trust nobody outside of like three guys down there so you just kind of keep it rolling and you're just going to try and do that for as many possible games as you can and then you'll win as many as you can and if you lose because your bullpen well at least you throw out the best pitchers you've got for most games I think we both felt as though the winner of the ALCS would go on to win the World Series. We both felt as though the Astros were probably the better team, at least at this stage. Red Sox got it done. So with that being said, you think the Red Sox win the whole thing regardless of who they face in the World Series? Yeah. I, I think that the American League was just so much better. Yeah. I think that the the three best teams in baseball were all in the American League this year. I, I don't think that's... Uh, saying all that much that's controversial. I, I think that the the Astros, the Red Sox, and the Yankees were the three best teams in baseball. They were all in the American League. It, it made the American League playoffs a dogfight. Uh, not saying that the National League playoffs were easy, but you know you had three 100-win teams. The Red Sox went through two 100-win teams to get to the World Series. That has never happened before. Uh, you know, or or it's only happened 
uh, two times. There's never been a team that's you know faced 100 win teams all the way down the road and won it. Uh, luckily, the Red Sox won't have to worry about that. The the teams in the National League haven't reached that mark. But There's a reason it's only happened twice. Is that right. it's it's hard for that to even be really a possibility? Hard. Yeah, exactly. It it happened in '98 uh, with the Padres. They faced. Uh, 100 win teams in the LDS and LCS, and then the the Yankees who had right. won 114 games that year, and then the the Yankees did it in 2001 when they played the the uh, the Mariners and the A's, and so it doesn't happen all that much. It shouldn't happen all that much. Uh, you know, it it takes some crazy things to happen in a league for that to happen, and that's what happened in the American League this year. The American League was just really really good. All right, we can get back to baseball later in the show. As I mentioned, we'll talk some NFL as well. But I want to start the show talking SU football, and we'll have Nate Mink on here in about 10, 15 minutes from now. We've spent so much time the last two weeks in particular, Seth, dissecting the defense, talking about how this defense can't stop the run and looking at the numbers and the pit running backs, you know, rush for 299 yards on the ground. And Travis Etienne, you know, basically took over that second half and, and in that fourth quarter in particular down in Death Valley. And that's the reason they lost two games. We kind of forget about the offense. And you look at the numbers and the numbers jump off the page at you. They're averaging 43 points per game. But you look at those two losses against Clemson. They scored one touchdown after halftime. You look at Pittsburgh. They scored no touchdowns in the fourth quarter. Had to settle for two field goals. Does the offense deserve any of the blame for those two losses? And if so, how it's, much? It's, it's hard to blame the offense in those games. Specifically in the in the Clemson game, you're talking about playing uh, a... a a top defense talking about playing one of the best defenses in the country in that Clemson Tigers unit uh, in the Pittsburgh game. They still went out and scored a bunch of points. Like they scored, scored a lot. 37 yeah, points. They scored a lot of points in that Pittsburgh game. It's hard to say that the defense was at fault there, but I totally understand what you're saying. I don't know if it's, I don't know that blame is the right word or that we just have higher expectations for the offense. And even, and we have higher expectations for the offense, even though they're averaging 43 points Per game, uh, right? I, I well, see, it here's the thing because they've scored all these points and it doesn't feel like they've moved all the time. It doesn't feel like they've it doesn't feel like they've always just been on the been going. It, it doesn't feel like they've been going forward. It, it feels like they've stopped and sputtered and turned the ball over. And yet somehow at the end of the game, you look up and it's like, oh, there's 37 points on the board. Well, the, the reason that's I, what the pick game was. The reason right? I bring it up, yes, they scored 37 against Pitt. The reason I bring it up is that I personally have a hard time being critical of the offense. Because they are averaging 43 points per game. It's been incredible. And I I looked it up, Seth, and there are five Power 5 teams averaging more points per game than Syracuse. Only five. And the five are pretty good. Alabama, Oklahoma, Penn State, Ohio State, Texas Tech. That's it. And Syracuse is tied for 11th in the country right now at 43 points per game with Toledo and Oregon. It's hard for me to be critical of the offense, and I understand why people, you know, point to what happened at Clemson and say, "Well, you know, they got conservative after halftime, or they sputtered after halftime, and if they had, you know, just delivered the knockout blow." And and it's it's right to some degree to say, "Yeah, if they had just scored one more time, they win that game." Or against Pittsburgh, if they had just scored one more time and, and put that game away, you know, much like Western Michigan, things got dicey there for a little bit against Western Michigan. The defense didn't win that game. The offense went out. They Eric Dungey came back, and Eric Dungey said, "We're going to tack on a couple more touchdowns here, and we're going to win this game." You know, by thirteen points. That didn't happen against Clemson. Didn't happen against Pittsburgh. But it's hard for me to be critical 
of the offense and say, well, they're not doing their job or they could be better. And I, I know what you're saying, that you know our expectations for the offense are higher, higher, and by no means have they been perfect. And yes, there's always room for improvement, but the offense is doing its job. We had somebody call the other day and, and ask us, if, you know, how is this team better? Are they better offensively? Are they better defensively? Without skipping a beat, we both said yes, yes of course. They are. Yes. And some people have taken issue with that, saying, well, how do you know when their four wins are against, you know, subpar competition? I don't buy that, by the way. I think Florida State, at the end of the day, is still... It, they're not the Florida State that we expect year in and year out. But they might go 6-6 six and six anyway. Right. I mean, they're 3-3 three and three right now to say, right. well, it's a disastrous year for Florida State. I get it. They're not as good as they normally are, but they still have four- and five-star athletes. So I don't totally buy the Syracuse has beaten no one. Um, Syracuse, you know, again, played Clemson as tough as you can play them. I realize they didn't get the win, but th- this team is better. And and so it's it's hard for me when people are critical of the offense, and you're right, there is room for improvement, but the offense is doing its job. The special teams is doing its job, and by and large, the defense has done its job. The defense had one bad quarter against Clemson, and not a great. Nobody had a great day really against Pittsburgh. I mean, that was a game that they should have won. If they played their B game across the board against Pittsburgh, they win. They played a C game. They, they did not play win. well. They played a C game. They probably win Eric Dungey was off. Can they I, had some fluky turnovers. The defense didn't play well. Can I throw out some numbers here that, yeah. uh, about this offense? So Eric Dungey, quarterback, he's completed sixty percent of his passes. Would you like that higher? Sure, but not terrible. Uh, seven yards per attempt uh, on average. I, I think that would show that. You're, you want this offense to throw the ball a little bit more downfield, but again, not awful to to be in that seven yards, seven eight yards per attempt kind of a range. Here's the really interesting one that I've got that that I've found looking into this last night. In the rushing game, the running attack, the top four rushers all average four and a half yards per carry or better. Four and a half yards per carry or better from Dungy, Mo Neal, Dante Strickland, and Jarvian Howard. That is incredible. That is something that you can look at and say that is tangibly better. That is something that makes this Syracuse offense go better and makes this offense move better and and function better and function more efficiently. If you're picking up four and a half yards every single time you hand the ball off, and we've been critical of the, the running game for sure because at times it's like, well, you feel like you're not really getting anything, you're stuck in the mud, you don't know that they can hold on to the ball for long periods of time. That number seems to indicate otherwise. Interesting you should bring that up. Dino Babers addressed the running game on Monday at his weekly press conference. And he said that you want to be a team that can run the football when you need to. That success in the running game doesn't necessarily mean you need a balance 50-50. You don't have to throw the ball half the time and run the ball half the like time. Mike but, Leach. but are you right? <laughs> but in order to be considered, you know, a good running team, can you run the football when you need to? And I think we've seen, for the most part this year, they have been able to run the football when they've needed to. Short yardage situations, for the goal most line part. situations, for the most part. For the most part, they've been able to do that. And and that is a change and a step in the right direction because that is has not always been the case. Now, they did it last year against Clemson. They were able to put that game away with... What was it, a six-minute drive to close out the game? Yes. And they were able to, you know, run, run, pass, run, run, pass, enough to, you know, chew up enough clock, throw when they needed to pick up a third and six, but run the ball, run the ball, run the clock. They were able to do that against Clemson. So we saw glimpses of it last year. I think we're we're seeing this team now. Again, I think you have to now throw the one out. Time, now, the one time they haven't done it this, was year, this year, year against Clemson. Clemson. And I right. understand that. But to, again, to some degree, I think you have to give them a pass for 
that environment against that defense, the Clemson defensive line is is better this year than it was last year. Uh, that defense, I think, is better this year than it was last year. It was on the road, and and again, I I'm not giving them excuses, but to but to some degree, I think you have to overlook that and take that out of the equation. So that's why we say, for the most part, they've been able to run the ball when they've needed to. Not so much against Clemson. Right. For the most part, they've been able to run the ball. But the, the, those are the numbers that really stood out to me. Because what was it last year? You saw Dante Strickland at around three yards a carry. You saw, you know, Eric Dungy had good numbers, but Eric Dungy's got you know great numbers across the board. Uh, you know, Mo Neal had it a, uh, maybe a tick higher. Maybe he was at three and a half, four. Uh, you know, last year, this year to have four four running options that are all over. That four and a half yards per carry. That means that in two two carries, first and second down carries, you're at third down and one, right? On average, and sometimes even better than that because four point five was the worst of the four leading rushers for this team. I think that's probably the biggest defense in, difference in this offense. We can talk about uh, you know differences in the passing game, and the passing game isn't taking deep shots, and the passing game doesn't have that one go to receiver that they've had the last two years. The biggest difference is this running game, and the fact that like there's actually something there that is a a tangible thing that you can point to and say, hey. They can run the ball for positive yardage. It tells me two things. Number one, it tells me that the offensive line has improved. And the other thing it tells me is that they're doing their job in the passing game. Some teams run the ball to set up the pass. Syracuse does it the other way around. Syracuse is one of those teams that, you know, throws the ball to set up the run to some degree, right? I mean, it's, you know, that's in part why they're able to put four and a half yards per carry is that teams are on their heels. They, they go fast. They throw the ball a lot. And... When you're able to to run the ball, it to some degree catches the opponent off guard. So the offensive right. line has gotten better, and Eric Dungy and and that offense. I mean, Eric Dungy's doing his job. the 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 passing game is efficient enough that it's it's setting up their ability to run. Yeah, no, I think that's a really good way of of showing it. And uh, one last thing to to throw out there. Uh, talking about balance on offense, and, and it doesn't mean 50-50 play calling. It doesn't mean, hey, for every run you've got to throw a pass. Uh, balance on offense, how about this? Uh, the pass and rush yardage totals on this team are separated by 76 yards. That's pretty uh, good. That's, that's balance, right? That that in that in its own way is balance. You're at 1426 passing. You're at 1350 rushing, uh, you know, including 17 sack yards, I guess. Well, do you remember when, when they were pursuing Dino Babers three years ago? And one That's of the things said, we heard right? about him is he said, you know, the goal is 200 yards passing, 200 yards rushing in the game. Like that's the that's the baseline goal that they that they want to achieve. 200 of both, and then you know it's it's obviously not going to be as you said 50 50 play calling, but you want 200 of both, it, you know plus. And you know this team, this it, it's it's been pretty balanced. By the way, Jarvie and Howard averaging six and a half yards carry. Love this kid. That's incredible. I like him a lot. I want more of Jarvie and Howard. Nothing against Mo Neal and Dante Strickland. I just want more of Jarvie and Howard. And I'll be honest with you, I think he's probably gotten more carries than we anticipated because he's earned, I think so. he's earned those carries. Absolutely has. I mean, he fumbled at the goal line, but he's earned the carries. And he was thrown right back in after he fumbled, so clearly they got over that quickly. And we're halfway through his freshman season. I think we'll continue to see more and more of him as as certainly this season progresses and his career uh, progresses. We do need to take a timeout when we return. Nate Mink from Syracuse.com and the Post Standard will join us as we continue to preview Syracuse and North Carolina. We're just getting started on a Friday edition of Orange Nation. We're back after this on ESPN Radio. 
Live from Armory Square. This is Orange Nation with Stephen Fonte and Seth Goldberg. Stephen Seth back with you on a Friday edition of Orange Nation. We're brought to you in part by Charles Heating and Air. Again, phone lines open the rest of the way at 315. 337-7644. 437-7644. Always great catching up with uh, Nate Mink. Does a great job for Syracuse.com uh, and the Post Standard. He said that tomorrow's game doesn't strictly come down to whether or not Syracuse can stop the run. And, and I would agree with that, but I would, I would kind of amend that statement. If Syracuse does stop the run, in my opinion, game over. If Syracuse doesn't stop the run, then it comes down to other things. Does that make sense? That to me, if if Syracuse is able to do that and and shut down yes. what North Carolina wants to do, then it, then it does simply come down to that because I don't think Carolina can score enough to to keep up with the Orange. Game over. But if North Carolina can successfully run the football and move the ball on the ground, then I think it comes down to other things. You get what I'm saying? Absolutely, absolutely. Because if Carolina is able to run the ball and Syracuse cannot stop the Tar Heels. That opens the door for Carolina. I think I think is what you're saying here is is that that like least- with Pittsburgh, like with, with yes, the Pittsburgh. If exactly. you forced Kenny Pickett to beat you, he wouldn't He's have been able to do that. Right. So if Syracuse had slowed down and not, you know, if they hadn't given up 299 rushing yards to the running backs and it was 150, game over. Syracuse wins by two touchdowns. Exactly. And if and if you do the same thing this Saturday, if you allow them to run for 300 yards, you're not gonna th- things aren't gonna be looking so good at the end of the day. Now, if if you go out there. And uh, you hold them down, you you cut Michael Carter down and, and keep him in check even relatively, then you're going to look really good. You're going to feel really good about your chances because I don't think that Carolina's quarterback and that quarterback situation, I don't think that's going to be the one to beat you. I don't think that they will go out there and throw for enough yardage and score enough points through the air to go beat you. So I do think that there are other factors, but I think it starts with the rushing attack. Because like you said, if you allow them to run, you're giving them their opening. You're giving them their their way into a game. And that's the thing that you don't want. You don't want to let this team into a game. You shouldn't have let Pittsburgh into that game. You shouldn't have let them have that game close. But you did because you allowed 300 yards rushing. If you allow 300 yards rushing again, you let the Tar Heels hang around. And you don't want to let anybody hang around, but especially a bad team that's only won one game all year. If you slow down the North Carolina rushing attack like you did, I don't know, let's say against Cam Akers and Florida State, you're winning you, this game going away. You might get another thirty to seven result. It might be worse. Yeah, it might be worse. But that, that's my point: is that you know they slowed down Cam Akers. They didn't allow him to to get loose that day. And Florida State, to some great degree, helped him out. I mean, I don't have the stats in front of me. He only touched the ball like a dozen times in the game. Um, you can look it up right now. But they slowed him down. I mean, they they, did. they contained him. He was not. A problem for them in that game, and as a result, Florida State wasn't a problem. I mean, they got to DeAndre Francois whenever they wanted to. Jeez, yeah, you're right. Ten rushes and two receptions. I was I was right on the money. Okay, I I knew ten rushes, and I I, so I threw in a couple of receptions. So that's why I went with twelve. Looking back on that, how How did they they give the ball? How did they not do that? Well, that's why I said Florida State helped him out to some degree. I mean, he only touched the ball twelve times, which again is that is mind blowingly stupid. Um, but some of that has to do with how bad that that offensive line is. That's a colossal coaching well, failure. You had the numbers in front of you. What was his uh, average yards per carry that day? Five. Was it really? Ten for 52. He did averaged he, five yards a carry. Did he, did he have one long run? 17 yards. All right. Does that count? Because they bottled him up for the, for the most part. For the most part. But, I, I mean, he's good. He is good. Keep giving it to him. 
Well, again, that's that's how Florida State. I mean, Jacquez Patrick, who who I also think is a pretty good back, went four for thirteen with a long of nine, which means three for four yards. Right. They did a good job against the the Florida State rushing attack. Again, Willie Taggart and that offense, they they helped them out to some degree, not running the ball maybe as much as they should have. But at that point, you know, Syracuse hadn't been exposed. Clemson exposed Syracuse almost by accident, right? Right. They they didn't want to. If Trevor Lawrence, I, I still wonder this, and I guess it doesn't matter. I think we'll they never win know. If, if Trevor, Trevor Lawrence, Lawrence stays in the game. didn't get hurt, I wonder if Syracuse wins that game. As crazy as that sounds, because right. they would have continued to throw the football, and you know we're gonna show off this you know you wanna, shiny new arm that we have in our do, offense. Do you want to get into the really weird, the really weird thought? Are they six and zero if Trevor Lawrence doesn't get hurt? Potentially, yeah. Because potentially, because, because now all of a sudden that glaring hole is not. There. It's, and, not, it's not on tape yet. And you don't suffer the letdown to some degree. And again, I still I still have questions in my mind whether or not there was a letdown. I mean, you look at the way Syracuse started. It was 14 nothing in the blink of right. an eye. That game was wacky for no, a lot of reasons. Um, just like it was two years ago when they went to Heinz Field. That game was wacky. They, I mean, there were some fluky turnovers and the weather delay and, you know, just runs, you know, where there would be... You know, one team would score 17 straight, and then the other team would score two touchdowns in a row, and it was it was it was back and forth. And a lot of these Dino Babers coach games are are like that. Um, but I do wonder, and I feel pretty confident saying, if Syracuse had beaten Clemson, they would have gone down and taken care of Pitt the next week. So you could you could say that that there's you know, and we'll we'll never know. But I believe that if Trevor Lawrence stays in that game, Syracuse probably wins. Because, because they were doing everything right. They were doing Cle- everything right on both sides of the ball. And because Clemson had stumbled into something. Clemson had stumbled into success. Now, that I don't think will happen against North Carolina North Carolina, excuse me, not only because they know their quarterbacks stink, but because they know that that's a weakness for Syracuse. And and I think that when you're looking at Carolina, whoever it is, Nathan Elliott, Kate Fortin, uh, Daz Newsom, uh, wide receiver Antonio Williams. I don't care who of the four people are taking the quarterback snaps. Don't let them beat you. Or or make them beat you, I should say. Make those guys do the work. Make those guys uh go and and you know win a game for North Carolina. And I and I don't think that they'll be able to. So you know, you it all comes back to at the end of the day, it all comes back to stop the running game and go from there, doesn't it? It, it feels like it all comes back to that. It, it does for me. It does for me because I think if Syracuse stops the run, I think that's simply what it comes down to, and they win. And if they don't stop the run, I think it comes down to other things. It, it's funny going into that Clemson game. How many times did we say that week? You know, how much will Kelly Bryant leaving the team affect the outcome of this game? And and we weren't sure. And in hindsight. I don't want to say it had everything to do with the outcome of the game, but man, Kelly Bryant not being there and them being forced to go to a third-string quarterback who they didn't want him throwing the ball and they had to run the football after halftime, man, that that changed the entire complexion of that game. Changed the entire complexion of that game. And you wonder if you know if Trevor Lawrence goes out and Kelly Bryant is still there and comes in and plays, it, it, you know, if Syracuse still goes on and wins. They saw Kelly Bryant last year. I'm not sure their offense would have changed all that much with Kelly Bryant behind center. It obviously changed quite a bit, though, with Chase Bryce when they were forced there. to go to Chase Bryce and they didn't want him throwing the football. No doubt. Isn't that funny how that how that happens? We talked all you week, you catch all that break? week, yeah. well, all that week. We talked about like how much is is this going to affect Clemson? Never did we stop to think that you know having no backup quarterback would would actually uh, come back to 
to haunt the orange. But that's that's what happened. We do need to take another time out. 315-437-7644. Back after this on ESPN Radio. This is Orange Nation with Stephen Fonte and Seth Goldberg. Stephen Seth with you up until 2 o'clock. Uh, 315-437-7644. If you'd like to give us a call, you can also text us. At 315-288-0644. So I asked uh, Nate Mink earlier in the show if he was surprised that we haven't seen one receiver kind of step forward and be the Amba of this offense or the Steve Ishmael or even Irv Phillips. I mean, they were both fantastic uh, last year. I'll be honest with you. I, I thought by now, six games in, that we would see someone emerge. I thought it might be Jamal Custis. We thought it might be Devin Butler. Sean Riley has shown flashes. The younger guys have done some real positive things. I mean, Taj Harris, Nikeem Johnson. We have not seen one guy, though, just turn into Eric Dungy's go-to guy. Are you surprised by that? And do you see someone emerging these last six games? I'll ask you the same question that I asked Nate. I am surprised. Uh, Preseason, I thought it was going to be Devin Butler. After week one, I thought it was Jamal Custis. I thought that was like painfully obvious that Jamal Custis was going to go and be that breakout guy. And I guess to an extent, he's the lead receiver. He's the big play threat in this offense, or so it seems. Um, I thought Sean Riley at times has shown some really nice uh, ability on that inside receiver. Uh, I'm surprised that one guy hasn't taken the lead, though. I'm surprised that one guy hasn't just taken off. And maybe it's emblematic of the whole passing game and, and the, you know, I don't want to say the problems, but the the questions that you have about it or, or the questions that you you see in the passing game this year that one guy hasn't taken off, that the, the team leader in receptions is 26 after having 100 reception guys each of the last two years. You're on pace, uh, your best receiver's on pace to catch 52 passes. Uh, you know, I, I That's think half that was, of what they did last year. Exactly, that's my point. Like I, I think that that would explain a lot of what's going on in the passing game. Uh, but at the same time, it's a, it's a little bit more spread out, right? You've got guys at 26, 25, and then 17, uh, five guys in double digits. Um, so at least it seems like this thing is evened out a little bit more. And maybe that's not exactly what you want. And it doesn't sound like it's what Dino Babers really wants out of this offense. But right now, you know, it's it's working enough, right? It's It's getting the job done. I really like what I've seen out of Taj Harris. I really like what I've seen out of him. Uh, he looks like a really good young receiver. I think Nikeem Johnson has more in him than, than even what he's shown so far, and I think he's had a pretty good year. Um, I, I expect Jamal Custis to to like get back on track and and you know keep making some of these big plays that he's made. I think if I'm looking at it, at anybody to break out, it's one of those three guys. I'm kind of I'm kind of past Devin Butler. I'm I'm kind of you know I don't want to twelve say, catches in five games. Yeah, I don't want to say to sit out the pit game because of a violation of team rules. I don't want to say I'm over him, but uh, that's kind of how I'm feeling right now because, like you said, I mean he he's had that he had the violation of team rules. He's only caught twelve passes. He he's dropped a ton. He uh, I I feel fine saying that he gave up on routes earlier in the year. Uh, he was shut out of the Western Michigan game. I just I look at him and I, I say there should be so much more there. He should have been the guy. He was set up to be the guy, and he's still having a bad year. Uh, I'm just I'm kind of over Devin Butler. I I don't think he's going to be the guy. I think it's going to be Taj Harris, Nikeem Johnson, or Jamal Custis who are really going to break out here in the second half. Yeah, Devin Butler will be back for this North Carolina game. I, I tend to side with you though on this. 
I think Devin Butler, I don't want to say he's going to lose snaps because they do put so many receivers on the field at one time But I think in he this already offense. is. I mean, Tosh right. Harris is playing the outside instead That's of That's what I was, I was just going to say is I think he's going to continue to lose some opportunities. Maybe not a ton because they, they have so many plays, obviously, over the course. I mean, his, he's going to have opportunities there. He's going to still get targets. But I think we're going to see him lose some of those some of those opportunities to a guy like Tosh Harris. And, and he might be... Of the of the candidates for a guy to step up and be you know the go to guy, of the candidates, I think Taj Harris might have the highest upside. Even this year, he's come so far so quickly, and you know Jamal Cousins had that w- one great game, and Sean Riley had that one great game. I think Taj Harris, you know, talk about being consistently great. I think. You know, Taj consistently Harris, good. Consistently good. Yeah. I think you want well. Well, you I, want consistently well, great. Amba but. and Steve Ishmael and Irv Phillips were consistently great. That's I. I purposely said that because in order to be the lead guy, you want them to be consistently great. You know, not occasionally great, consistently great. And I think Taj Harris of the candidates has has the most potential, most upside. I mean, I, I like Nikeem Johnson a lot as well. I just I really like Taj Harris. I do too. I, I really like him. I, I really like what he brings to the table. The last two games, he's got three and four passes for mid-60s in yardage. I, I think he's probably the guy who's going to break out if anybody will. Has the ability to stretch you vertically? Yep. I, I mean, he had the two big plays in the Clemson and the Pitt game. He had the big plays downfield. He seems to bring a lot to the table. All right, 315-437-7644. We do need to take a timeout. Hour number one now in the books. We'll kick off hour number two right after this.